Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. Well, good morning, everybody. I want you to think about this. If you had to pick one subject to eliminate from the curriculum of a child's education, what would it be? You say, well, math has to be in there, at least at a basic level, so we can keep track of things. And science, the world of science, technology, being computer literate, you have to know about that in this day and age. And of course, everyone needs grammar, reading, and writing, because you got to be able to communicate. But what about history? Like, how important is history? Well, I would submit to you this morning that history is vitally important. As Henry Wadsworth Longfellow once said, If we forget the past, we don't know who we are, we don't know what we are, and we certainly don't know why we are. I personally believe that one of the greatest problems in our culture and in the church today is that we have short memories. And as a result, we don't benefit from the past. We don't spend much time reflecting on the knowledge that's been collected and passed down from generation to generation because we live in a technological age that's always moving forward. Don't look back, look ahead. That's where life really is, right? Well, maybe not. Maybe not. It's been said, those who fail to learn from history are destined to repeat it. In fact, I ran across this interesting blurb the other day. When Tristan Ellis, 18, of Australia, appeared before Northern Territory Supreme Court Justice Dean Mildred to face breaking and entering charges, Mildred looked over his records and discovered that he had been arrested before on 28 counts, but had been released on bail. And in addition to that, while he was out on bail, he racked up 17 more counts. Furious, Judge Mildred demanded to know who the idiot was that granted such a low-life criminal bail. Don't we learn from the past around here? Well, a quick check of the court records found the idiot, all right. It turned out that it was none other than Judge Mildred himself. Ouch. You know, the simple fact that we suffer from memory lapses is one strong argument to study history. But another reason history is important is because it takes us out of our narrow view of the world. In the preface to a certain history book written for children, the authors wrote the following. This book was written to give the child some idea of what has gone on in the world before he arrived to take him out of his little self-centered, shut-in life, which looms so large because it is so close to his eyes. That's what history does. It takes us out of our little self-centered life, which seems so big because it's all we've ever experienced. History brings a world of experience into our limited personal realm. And what we're going to discover this morning in Joshua chapter 4 in the Bible is that God himself considers history to be a vitally important subject. In fact, one of the key concepts in Scripture centers around the word remember. Because if we don't remember what God has done in the past, then we'll miss the spiritual heritage that's been passed on to us. And all we will have to draw upon is the shallow well of recent experiences. So how can we keep history as a priority? 
Like how can we recall the things that God has done? Well, the key here is that we need to build memorials. Memorials that help us to remember. And that brings us to Joshua chapter 4. God has devoted an entire chapter of Joshua to the importance of history and building memorials so that future generations will remember what God has done. Because without a memorial, people tend to forget. Now, last week, we walked through this incredible miracle where God stopped the flow of the Jordan River so that the Israelites could cross over on dry land. And now, two million Jews have made it to the other side of the river. And we read in Joshua 4 and verse 1, When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priest stood, and to carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took the 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites as the Lord had told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to their camp where they put them down. Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood. And they are there to this day. Now, the rest of the chapter goes on to elaborate on this. But the point is very simple. A miracle has occurred. God has done something great. And he wants future generations to remember this miracle. He doesn't want his acts to be limited to only the people who experience them. He wants his greatness to be passed on to future generations. And one of the characteristics of God is that God always remembers. Now, for some of us, as we think back over the course of our lives, we kind of wish God had a shorter memory, don't we? But God always remembers. And the word remember in the Hebrew language, it literally means to recall and respond. It's not simply an intellectual thing. It's a call to action. God remembered the promise he made to Adam and Eve in the garden. And he sent Jesus to atone for their sins. God remembered the promise he made to Abraham. And he gave him a son, Isaac, even at the age of 100. God remembers his promises and he remembers his people. But you know what? Most of us struggle in this arena. We tend to have short memories. And that's one of the reasons our faith can be so shallow. In fact, if we look back at the book of Deuteronomy, God is giving the nation of Israel the law. He's already brought them out of Egypt and he's laying out the commandments for his people. And I want you to notice what God says in Deuteronomy chapter 8, beginning in verse 10. He says, when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not, what? What does it say here? Forget the Lord your God. 
Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will, what does it say here? You will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful desert, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the desert, something your fathers had never known, to humble and to test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your forefathers as it is today. Okay, God gives a warning here. He warns us that when everything is going well, when life is peaceful and you have more than enough and you start looking at all your stuff, you know what you're gonna do? You're gonna have a tendency to forget about God and think, look what I've got. Look at what I've done. You'll become absorbed in your own little world, impressed by your own little accomplishments. But I would suggest to you that those who live within the confines of their own experience live very shallow lives. Now, we live in a culture today that tells us your experience, your heart, your feelings are the most important. You know, live by your own instincts, follow your own heart. Your experience is paramount. There's one problem with that. There have been millions of people who have lived before you. And if you can live in and learn from their experiences, you'll live a much fuller life. And if you lean on their wisdom, you'll have much more to go on. For example, if your concept of God is limited only to the things that you've experienced in your life, you know what? Your God is going to be very, very small. But when you look at God through the eyes of generations of people, and see all that he has done on behalf of the collective human race, then all of a sudden your eyes are opened, your mind is expanded, and you see so much more. And that's why memorials are so important. Now, proper memorials should include three things. Let's talk about these. I put them in your notes. First of all, a proper memorial includes a clear understanding of God's purpose. A clear understanding of God's purpose. Look at Joshua 4.4, says this. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you. Now it's important to note that God doesn't just tell these guys to pick up any old stones from the bottom of the river and use it to make the memorial. No, God tells them to pick up specific stones near the ark. And do you know why God instructs them in this way? Because he wants to clearly communicate that his presence is the priority in this miracle. And the ark symbolized God's personal presence. You know, too often people get the wrong idea. They think miracles are all about them, that the purpose of a miracle is to help them, save them, give them a break. But God was not parting the waters simply so the Israelites could easily get across the Jordan River. 
No, God was parting the waters to demonstrate that he was the one giving them the land. And any proper memorial should recognize the priority of God, that God is the one doing the miracle and that it's for his glory, not simply to bail us out. A proper memorial includes a clear understanding of God's purpose. Second, proper memorials should include all of the parties involved, all the parties involved. Notice verse five again. It says, each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites. All 12 tribes were involved in this. You know why? Because there would come a time when some of the Israelite tribes would say, well, you guys aren't as good as we are. You're not as blessed as we are. You're not as important as we are. All 12 tribes benefited from what God did here. And God wants all 12 of them to participate. And finally, the third ingredient of a proper memorial is that a proper memorial should have a prominence that attracts questions. It should stand out. It should attract questions. Notice what he says in verse 6. This is to serve as a sign among you. So in the future, when your children ask, it's not a question of if your children ask. He's saying in the future, when your children ask. This memorial would have enough prominence that people would ask questions. In fact, Joshua actually built two memorials. He built one on land at the camp. Then verse 9 tells us that he went back into the river and built another one right in the middle of the river. Now at flood stage, you'd only be able to see the 12 stones on the river bank. But when the river went down, you'd be able to see a second memorial rising up from the water. And Joshua went to this extra effort because he wanted the memorial to be prominent so that the kids will ask. And when they asked, they could be told, God parted these waters. God opened up the way to the promised land. Every memorial should prompt questions. Now, what I want to suggest to you this morning by way of application is that this passage is not just about setting up stones. This passage is about developing a way of life, a way of life that includes establishing memorials for what God is doing, for what he's done. I believe God wants every one of his children throughout history, you and I, to set up memorials because memorials help us to celebrate God's miracles. Now, there are two types of memorials. One is a memorial event. I mean, you may remember that in the Old Testament, they had a number of special events they celebrated. There was Passover, the Day of Atonement, and others. These were special times, special festivals, special seasons. And in the New Testament, there are two memorial events that have been given to the church, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Those are two things we celebrate on a regular basis. In fact, this coming week, six of our teenagers are going to be baptized at our midweek youth gatherings. Isn't that incredible? It's going to be a time of celebration. The families are going to be there. It's going to be awesome. That's a memorial to changing a person's life. Another memorial event that some people celebrate is their spiritual birthday. They remember the day they came to faith in Jesus. They actually have a party or a celebration to recall God bringing them into his family. And that's what we mean when we talk about memorial events. Now, the other type of memorial is a memorial symbol. Actually having something symbolic like these stones in chapter 4. Do you have any memorial symbols around? Tangible reminders that represent God's great work in your life? 
A memorial symbol can be anything you like. Some people plant a garden or a tree as a memorial. Others hold on to a tangible item like a seashell or a pressed flower. You know, a wedding ring is a memorial. Some people get a tattoo as a memorial. It can be anything you like as long as it reminds you of the event or the moment. Now, probably the most common memorial we use in our culture to remind us of the past are pictures. And over the years, I've had a number of pictures and plaques on the walls of my house, my office, and each of them meant something to me. Let me share a few of them with you this morning. Now, here is a picture that meant a lot to me when my boys were young. It's such a large print that it was easier to show you on the screen here than bring it up here. But it's a picture of a man kneeling at the bedside of his child to pray. And in the background, you see a struggle between a dark angel and an angel of light. It's entitled Spiritual Warfare, and it reminds me to pray for myself, to pray for my family, to pray for my church family. It's a reminder that we're in a battle, a very real spiritual battle. And it's also a memorial, a memorial to the times in my life when I fought some intense spiritual battles with the enemy, and I have seen God's hand work mighty victories. You know, another memorial that you would find in my office is my diploma from Dallas Theological Seminary. You know, it sets up on my bookshelf, which is appropriate because it seems like that's all I did for years and years in seminary. I read and read and read. But this diploma is significant to me because it's a memorial to God's calling on my life as a pastor. And when people come up to me and they're inspired by my understanding or proclamation of God's word, you know what I think? I think about the fact that God was the one who provided me with the opportunity to study the Bible at Dallas Theological Seminary and to learn from those great teachers of God's word. See, my education was a gift. The Lord provided the finances for me and he took me on that path. And this diploma is a memorial to God's gift of a seminary education. You know, one final thing that you would see around my home, pictures of my boys. And and while everyone takes pleasure in pictures of their children, this one's significant for me because there are two boys in this picture, not just one. See, Wendy and I have another young child in heaven right now, Maxwell Todd Threlkeld. Because three years after Nicholas was born, Wendy had a rough pregnancy. We lost our baby in the final trimester. And that was an especially difficult time for us because we really wanted another child, but we weren't sure if that was even a possibility for us. Well, after the tests from the lab came back inconclusive concerning the cause of Max's death, we tried again. And nine months later, Nick's little brother, Nathan, was born. And we consider him to be a memorial to the grace of God. See, those are a few of the memorials that I have to remind me of the great things God has done in my life. And my question to you is this. Do you have any memorials? Are you developing memorials to remind you of the great things that God has done on your behalf? You know, another benefit of memorials is that memorials help us to capture teachable moments. They capture teachable moments. And when you capture teachable moments, you capture the hearts of the future. You know, when God places a family together, he gives parents what at first feels like unlimited opportunities to teach their kids. But the funny thing you discover as a parent is that oftentimes kids are the least teachable, least open to spiritual things when you set them down for a Bible study and say, okay, kids, today I'm going to tell you everything you need to know about God and the Bible, right? It doesn't mean you shouldn't do that, but sometimes they're the least teachable 
at those times. However, all throughout the course of their days, all throughout the course of their lifetime, over and over again, God is doing things at unusual times to open up their heart, to make them pliable. But the question is, have you built the memorials around you that'll raise the questions so that your children will experience those teachable moments? Are there things in your world that serve as reminders of the great things that God has done in your past? Is there anything that would raise questions in your children's minds so that when those teachable moments come along, you can take advantage of them? You see, when God opens the heart of a child, it's sad when we as parents aren't prepared to fill it up with the history of how God has blessed our lives. I mean, so many of us have seen the power of God work in incredible ways, both now and in the past. So pass that along to your children and to your grandchildren. Dr. Chuck Swindoll tells a fascinating story about a friend he knew in seminary. It's a very fitting story in light of our message this morning. He was a little unusual, and he had a big red birthmark across his whole face. It started below one eye, came down across his lips, over the side of his face, down his neck, and onto his chest. And it was just bright rose red. And this guy was a public speaker. So one day, after I got to know him well, I said to him, man, how did you do it? Like, how did you overcome that mark on your face? Kids are so cruel, and people don't like that. How did you overcome that? He said, you know, it's funny that you should ask that. Because when I was a little boy, my dad used to say to me over and over again, he would say, you know, son, that mark on your face is where an angel kissed you. It's where an angel kissed you. When you were born, an angel kissed you and he kissed you there to mark you so that whenever you're in a crowd of other little boys, I can always find you. You're my son and I love that mark on your face. He said, you know, Chuck, over time, I actually began to feel sorry for other people who didn't have the kiss of an angel on their face. Wow. I mean, that dad enlightened his son to the great truth of the sovereignty of God, that God shapes each one of us uniquely for his purposes. I mean, that boy could have grown up consumed by his own personal experience of the pain of being different, but his father taught him more. He broadened his son's perspective and said, hey, in the light of the whole world, that mark on your face makes you special. And when you grasp the big picture, the historical view that God is at work throughout the world and in your life, it changes everything. And my question for you today from a very practical passage of scripture is this. What are your memorials? What do you celebrate? What are the marks of God's incredible working in your life? Think about that. And then go out and build some memorials for those who come after you. Let's pray together. Lord, what a powerful and compelling lesson you've left for us in Joshua chapter four. It's a reminder to remember the past and to build memorials that speak of your great works in our lives. Lord, I wanna thank you that you've left us with a record of your great deeds in the Bible. Because apart from the history you've left us in your word, our view of you would be so limited. And help each of us, Father, to leave memorials as a legacy of your great works in our life. That our children and their children after them would ask questions and that the answers we give to them 
would bring honor and glory to your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.